Hello, and welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast, sponsored by Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. My name is Heather, and I am your host for this show today. And today's episode, we're going to talk about soil health. Um, You know, the thing is, with any kind of gardening system or farming system, for that matter, really, it starts at the bottom, and that's with the soil. So we are in a zone 6A climate, and we're in Ohio, which means our soil is mostly clay. Now, clay is very dense and is not the best for growing in. So we have to amend our soil, which is to add vitamins and nutrients and bioavailable things, um, soil biology, basically, Uh, to make our soil fertile. So what we do here on our farm is we use a variety of composting options. So on our farm, we haul in horse manure from a friend and we age it for a few months to let it break down and let nature take its course. What happens is there are beneficial bacterias that get in there as well as insects and fungal matter and all kinds of things. And they break down that manure and turn it into compost. Now with horse manure in our case, which is what we primarily use, we have to be careful because horses do not fully digest when they eat. So what ends up happening is that seed um, and and matter like that gets passed through the horse's digestive system and the horse's stomach does not break those seeds down so we have to be really careful that we don't end up with weed seeds getting inadvertently added to our garden fortunately for us we um, get our manure from horses that have really healthy sources of food and they are very well taken care of horses um so we compost manure and we use that in our gardens In addition to that, we also have a compost heap that we use to put veggie scraps and kitchen scraps in. We do not put any kind of meat or bones or animal fats or oils into our compost bin. However, we do put vegetable and fruit scraps in there as well as um, cardboard and brown paper bags. And our, our main source of that carbon is junk mail. So we're really careful with our junk mail. When we get junk mail in, it comes into the home. We remove it from the windowed envelopes that it comes in because that little bit of plastic that's on those windows is not good for the soil, of course. And then we shred the paper. Now we are careful not to use any kind of glossy print or anything like that that's got binders or chemicals on it because it doesn't break down as well and it's got chemicals to add to the soil that are not healthy. We then take all that material and we layer it in our compost been and make sure that we water it or at least keep it moist if it's not been raining and we turn our compost bin fairly regularly about every two to three days we go out with a pitchfork and we turn it and lift it and mix it around and that allows air to get in which allows those bacterias and beneficial insects to get in there and break it down now that takes a little bit longer to break down uh, but it's very worth it because it's a free source of compost So we add that to our soil, and then this year we added um, vermicomposting, which is worms. So we use kitchen scraps in our worm bin, and we let the worms nibble on that stuff and break it down, and we use the worm compost or the worm castings to enhance our soil as well. 
We do test our soil. Um, you can have your soil tested by taking a sample of your soil to your local extension office, um, and they can test your soil to let you know if you have any kind of heavy metals or toxins in your soil, as well as test for things like soil pH, um, which is how acidic or alkaline the soil is, because certain fruits and vegetables thrive in a more acidic or a more alkaline environment. For example, blueberries like a slightly acidic environment. So if you have a part of your soil that is very acidic, it'd be a fantastic place to put a blueberry um, versus other fruits and vegetables that really don't like the acidity in the soil and will shrivel up and die. So that's really important. In our case, our soil came back pretty neutral on the pH scale, but it is very heavy with that clay. So by building up layers of compost, we are replacing the soil with that compost and enhancing that soil with the compost. We plant deep-rooted vegetables like comfrey, which have a very deep taproot, um, and they will go through and break up some of that clay soil and as the comfrey then dies, their roots rot in place and start contributing to that soil biodiversity. And it breaks up that clay with pockets of healthy compost, basically. Our beds are all, um, like I said in, I think, a previous episode, a back-to-Eden hybrid method of no-till. So we put heavy layers of cardboard and brown paper bags down, and then we put compost on top of that, planted in the compost, and topped it with a thick layer of fresh wood mulch. Now that wood mulch is going to break down and help contribute to the soil health as well. The compost is is underneath, and that's what you want to actually be planting in. you got to be really careful with the no-till method where you're using a deep mulch method because if you're growing in the mulch and not in the compost or the soil, your plants will be very tall and spindly, and they won't be getting the vitamins and nutrients that they need, and a strong windstorm will knock them over, and all of your hard work is for nothing. So with that in mind, we got to it and planted our, our vegetables and fruits in that composted material in our beds. Um, after the first year, we realized that the wood mulch breaks down fairly slow, which is a good thing. It does a great job at retaining moisture, but it does have a slight draw on the nitrogen in the soil. Nitrogen is important for the leafy production of your vegetation. Well, we changed that method up about midway through last year's planting, and we switched to using straw. So we use organic straw on top of our beds as our top dressing or our mulch now, and we use the wood chip mulch in between the rows and in our food forest. But in the garden itself, we are using straw. It breaks down much faster. It's thinner and lighter weight. So for some of the smaller seedlings, it's easier for them to pop up and grow through them because they're not having to move large chips of wood. They get fairly heavy when they're wet. Now, the difference is that the mulch is going to attract fungal growth. And fungal growth is a beauty, beautiful thing. The mycelium will go through and nibble on all of the things in the compost and in the mulch and it'll help to start breaking down that mulch. Now fungal growth, mycelium growth, mushrooms, all of that does wonders for the soil and eventually those mushrooms will you know grow to a fruiting stage 
in our case, we harvest them. You don't have to. You can let them just shrivel up and die if you're not a fan of mushrooms or if you don't want to harvest them. Um, but they will also drop spores right where they're at when they open up. Their gills on the bottom side uh, will drop spores. So then those spores will spread and inoculate you know, the area around them, and that's how you get mycelial growth, and that's how you expand your, you know, your fungal beds. So it's fantastic, and that is some of the things that we are doing to improve our soil health here on the farm. Another thing that's really important when assessing your soil health is assessing the type of plants that you intend to grow. So for example, carrots like to grow in lightly sandy soil. So if you're going to be growing carrots, you'll want to mix in a little bit of sand with your soil in the area where you intend to grow those carrots. Now, bear in mind that crop rotation is really important because different vegetables and fruits, um, they all need different things and they all will leave different things behind. Also, if you have you know, different kinds of pests attacking the vegetables or fruits. They can linger in the soil. They can leave, you know, eggs or grubs behind. And so by rotating your crops and switching the location of each type of vegetable, that can help to um, create more of an integrated pest management system where you are using different crops to prevent pests. So with that, you don't want to put in too much sand because some other plants may not like that. So with, with carrots, it's important to have a little bit of sand in the soil, but you don't want to make it um, such a sandy mix that there's little soil and, and a large amount of the sand. But that's a really good example of assessing your soil for the crop you plan to grow. Another important thing to assess when, when looking at your soil health is the moisture content of your soil. So when you're growing plants, they want to be um, wet, but not soggy, most plants anyway. There are a few plants that prefer soggy, wet soil, but those are fairly few and far between. Most plants want a loamy soil, and they're looking for a soil that you can pick up in your hand and squeeze together and it gets crumbly, but it doesn't stick in a ball. If it sticks and ends up sticky, you've got more clay on your hands. If it can't hold together at all, you've got dead soil. You have dirt in essence. You don't have soil. There's no life in it. Um, irrigation is really, really, really important in a garden. Now we're in zone 6A. We get a fair amount of natural rainfall and moisture in the air. However, we can go huge stretches without any precipitation at all. A good example was in the summer of 2022. So we planted all of our plants and we had done a great job of watering them every day and things were going really well. And then we got a crazy hot spell and we went over a month without a single drop of rain. In the spring, however, our ground was a soupy, soggy mess. One of the things that um, making sure that your soil is well-conditioned can do is it can help your, your soil to better handle that moisture. So the, the mulch that we talked about before, or straw, any kind of mulch that you use, whether it be straw or wood mulch, or even if you use shredded up leaves, to use as your mulch, whatever your mulching material is, it needs to be something that can retain some moisture in it. Now, 
what that does is the the wood chips or the straw or the mulch will suck up that moisture and hold it kind of like a sponge. As the soil below starts to dry, it's going to pull the water out of that mulch and into the soil as the plants need it. So when you get a nice, heavy, deep rainfall, that wood mulch or that straw is going to absorb all of that water and it's going to hold it there for you, which allows you to have to water less frequently. Some vegetables, especially tomatoes, for example, they need a very consistent amount of moisture. So tomatoes, if you've ever seen tomatoes that have those deep splits in them or that the skin has split when they're getting close to ripening, what that is typically, it can mean multiple things, but most, most often what it is is where a tomato has gotten a sudden downpour of rain, it's taken up a bunch of that moisture and the fruit has swollen rapidly which cracks the skin. That opens the fruit that you're going to eat up to diseases and pests, and it causes all kinds of problems with those vegetables, making them less appealing to eat. One way to prevent that is having consistent moisture. If the tomatoes are used to getting moisture every single day, or every few days at least, and they always live in a nice, damp environment, but not soggy, then the tomatoes are less likely to split and crack if you get a sudden spring or summer shower. We had found this year that was a huge benefit to us. Unfortunately, towards the end of August, we got a very, very, very heavy rain week. We got um, a couple of inches of rain in the course of just two or three days, which caused our tomatoes, some of them, to split. We would have had a lot more splitting were it not for the fact that we had consistently been watering our tomatoes throughout the season. Luckily for us, we we did have that irrigation set up in advance so that we did not have a sudden influx of water. Water is really important to your soil health in general, not just to prevent the plants from splitting and cracking, but also... You know, the whole idea of composting and manure and all of those things are to build up that soil biology. You want living, breathing soil. You want soil that has beneficial bacteria and insects and nematodes and fungus and all of those things, those rotting plant matter. You want that in there. You want your soil to be black um, or close to it. When you have dirt that is dirt, it is a, a pale brown color. It is sometimes gray or white even. That soil is lacking in nutrition. It is dead. It is anaerobic. Water is the key to that living soil. So the water will trickle down through there, which keeps everything moist and allows the bacteria and the fungus to thrive and to continue to break down that organic matter and to continue to improve your soil health. When the soil gets too dry and stays too dry for too long, the bacteria die, the fungus dies, and it stops that process. So making sure that you have good irrigation is really important. Now, we'll talk about irrigation in depth in later episodes, but there's multiple ways that you can accomplish this. You can do some simple things like just making sure that you water every few days And that can be something as simple as using a sprinkler system, a garden hose with a sprinkler attachment. That can be physically going out with a watering can and watering. You don't want to water the leaves and the fruits on your vegetables. You want to try to water 
at the ground level. That's why things like soaker hoses and drip irrigation systems that deliver the water right to the plant's base, right at that root structure, are really, really great for the garden systems. Now, we have, we have both systems. We have drip irrigation as well as um, soaker hoses, and that was, that was a gift that uh, Bobber, Bob got me this year. It is a fantastic system, and we'll put links to that system in our irrigation episode. But essentially, it, it hooks up to the garden hose, and it has a little digital meter on it. It senses if there's rain, and if there's rain, it won't turn on. If there is not rain, it'll automatically turn on every day for a predetermined amount of time and deliver irrigation directly where the plants need it. Now, in our permaculture food forest, that's going to be less important because the idea of that permaculture design is to build swales, which is mounds of dirt or hills, that will be planted upon and will help with water retention and will allow that water to cycle through and use the natural water that is already in, you know, the atmosphere. In a garden system, we don't really have that set up. Now, if you use hugel culture, which is mounding of of wood and plant material to create hills, you may have a little bit better irrigation setup. But for the typical American gardener, um, you have flat beds and a lot of times raised beds, and therefore they're not getting all of the moisture that they would be getting in a permaculture setting. So our irrigation system automatically will trigger, which delivers a nice, even, consistent watering routine, which is completely hands-off. It is hooked up once, once we've got it set up. It's just a matter of moving the hoses if we move the beds around. And other than that, we detach it in the winter, blow some air through the lines because you want to make sure there is no water left in the lines, which can then freeze and break your lines. But aside from that, it's it's fairly hands-off. Our irrigation system is set up so that we can add to it. We can remove parts. There are little valves that we can turn off so that only certain beds are getting moisture. So if we have, you know, the beds that are closest to our home are very shady and they get some natural runoff from our roof line, whatever spills over the gutters. Um, Yes, gutters should contain all of the moisture. Ours do not. Um, yes, we need to get new gutters, but until we do that, that side of the house gets natural moisture. And so we don't need to irrigate those beds as frequently as we do the other ones. And so that soil is always nice and damp because it also isn't getting a lot of direct sunlight to dry it out. Again, when you're doing the irrigation system and and deciding on how you want to irrigate, you want to set it up in a way that you have, you know, looked at your property and decided where is the sun going to be beating down direct? Because those areas are going to likely need more precipitation or more moisture, more irrigation than the areas that are partially shaded because the sun is not going to be baking off all of that moisture. Making sure that your soil is damp is going to be huge in making sure that your soil is healthy. Now let's talk about soil amendments. There are a host of soil amendments that are available to you. We use an organic growing method. We are not a USDA certified organic garden simply because we are not currently selling any of our fruits or vegetables or products from the farm. We're currently just using them and storing them for ourselves, but we do grow organically. 
We do not use any commercially produced pesticides or herbicides. We source materials that are organic and non-GMO seeds as much as possible. And as a result of that, we use natural processes and, and products for integrated pest management, meaning we don't use insecticides. You will not find um, chemicals at our home that are, are chemically produced in a lab to spray on our vegetables. What you will find, though, from time to time are things like companion planting, where I'm growing basil and marigolds with my tomatoes to prevent bugs. They also use and release different types of nutrients into the soil. So that's something that's really important to us. We do crop rotation, so we make sure that we move our beds around and we plant different things in different locations year over year, again, so as to not deplete the soil. Corn, for example, is a very heavy feeder. What that means is corn requires a lot of nutrient uptake from the soil in order to produce a harvest. With that in mind, you don't want to plant corn in the same place that you planted corn last year because you want to plant something in there that's going to be a, a light feeder, something that doesn't require nearly as much nutri nutrition. And so that's a way to let your soil naturally regenerate. We do put compost down every year and that compost replenishes a lot of those vitamins and nutrition. So if our soil is lacking in calcium, especially tomatoes, for example, they need a lot of calcium in order to create a nice, healthy fruit. Calcium deficiencies in tomatoes will cause blossom end rot. That's where the blossoms started on the flower on the, on the plant and then produced the fruit. The blossom end, which is the bottom of the, the fruit, is going to start turning black and rotting. If you've ever seen a tomato growing in your garden and the top half of the tomato looks beautiful, but for some reason the bottom is black and it's squishy and just not healthy, more often than not that is blossom end rot. It could be blight. Typically that affects the leaves first, but more often than not it's blossom end rot. And one of the ways to prevent that is adequate um, irrigation as well as making sure that the soil has adequate calcium in it. Now, you can purchase chemical calcium supplements that are chemically produced. I struggle using the word chemical because literally everything is a chemical. Even water is a chemical in the true sense of the word. But for, for this podcast, if you hear me referring to chemicals, I'm speaking of things that were produced in a lab, not things that are naturally occurring in the environment. So just know that going forward. But for us to make sure that we have adequate calcium in our soil, we compost our eggshells. So when we have eggs, we add our eggshells to our compost, which releases the calcium that's tied up in those eggshells back into that composted soil. So our, our soil is rich in calcium naturally. Another thing that some gardeners will use is Epsom salt. And there's a lot of conflicting information as to whether Epsom salt is a good thing or a bad thing. I personally do not use it. It is a naturally occurring substance, but I personally do not use it. Um, 
we also use neem oil so neem oil is a natural product that is a an extract that you can spray on as an insecticide i struggle with using it from time to time because it's it's not really insect specific so neem oil can damage some of your beneficial insects so it is something that is difficult to justify using in our garden, but in worst case scenarios, it is something that could be used without adding a bunch of um, chemicals. Other things that we add to our soil amendments are things like blood meal and bone meal. Um, those are dried animal blood um, or pulverized animal bones. They will add calcium as well as iron and other minerals into the soil. So those are fantastic. More soil amendments you could take and harvest all of your weeds. If, if you're picking weeds out of your garden or even just plants that you're no longer wanting to grow or as you've trimmed, you can put the green leafy parts of those into a five gallon bucket, put water in the bucket, um, clean water into the bucket put a lid on it and just let it bake in the sun for a month or two what'll happen is those plant those plant matters will break down in that bucket and turn into a brown stinky goop that brown stinky goop is what we call gardener's revenge it is a fantastic fertilizer now you're going to water that down some before using it but you can just scoop it out into your watering can mix about one cup of your gardener's revenge goop into the watering can fill it the rest of the way with a gallon or two of water and plant uh, plants will love that you're going to put that right at the root base you're not going to want to sprinkle it on the leaves again moisture on the leaves in the summer is going to to potentially burn your plants so as that water evaporates it is going to burn those those plants and you don't want that to happen so as with all irrigation you want to water from the bottom so just know when i'm talking about watering i always intend for that to be done right at the base of the plant so it goes directly into the roots but gardener's revenge is a great way it is a type of composting but it's a way to make a liquid fertilizer that is naturally produced it's a way of getting rid of your weeds it is a fantastic resource for gardeners you can bottle the leftovers and keep them in clean sanitized bottles and store it and it can be used all year we tend to make a batch of that in the spring that is ready to be used in the middle of the summer. And then we keep producing that throughout the summer as we harvest our weeds and things and then go from there. So those are the things we do for our soil. That is the importance of soil health. Again, if you haven't gotten your soil tested, I definitely recommend sending your soil off to be tested. Your extension office is a great resource for that. There are multiple labs that are willing to do soil testing for you. And you can also purchase um, tools to test your own soil. We have a soil alkalinity and soil pH tester that we use right here at the farm. Um, but for testing for trace minerals and things like that, you definitely want to send a soil sample off and have it tested. So that's what I've got for you for this week. If you have any questions, please leave them in the comments. You can find us on Facebook at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. Make sure you to leave any questions there for us. We are happy to answer. And since I won't be talking to you beforehand, we hope you all have a Merry Christmas. We hope you had a festive Yule. And we will talk to you next Wednesday.